You're listening to The 66, a podcast where we surveyed the books of the Bible one book at a time. The last time I think I said one Bible at a time. I only believe in one Bible. Now, but the word that Bible does mean book, so you could use those interchangeably. Oh, right. Well, yeah, if, if I were a politician, I'd probably get by on that. But no. if you fact check me, you'll find that that statement was technically wrong. It was just a gaffe. Let's call it a gaffe. I believe in one Bible full of 66 books, and we're trying to to study them. And this go-around, we're on Ezekiel. This is our second episode of Ezekiel. Uh, not easy going. I think right. we're getting all the tough ones out of the way first. Although we've been yeah. doing this, what, 18 months or so? We've been doing yeah, it over been a, a year. We've already done years. Jeremiah. We did Romans. Daniel. Daniel. We've done some pretty uh, other long difficult books yeah so this is definitely uh is this the hardest one we've done so far i don't know i feel like jeremiah was harder because this one i think outlines easier than jeremiah did yeah but once we decided what we were going to do for the day it was pretty simple to understand i mean there were some historical things but here you've got a lot of symbolic interpretation which i'm sure for the immediate audience wasn't that bad. I mean, I, I think it's speaking a language they understood. I'm not talking Hebrew or Aramaic. I'm talking, you know, the apocalyptic literature they were familiar with. We're just not all that familiar with that kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, there were probably some Babylonian images and influences that uh, kind of uh, embellished the the language as well. But we're doing the best we can do. Yeah. And I want our listeners to know that. That we are trying our best. We are. And uh, so Andrew, uh, he's going to do our reading for us, and we're going to cover four of eight symbols that we've kind of put into a little package here. So this is kind of like symbols part one, right? Right. Okay. Well, take it away. Let's get into them. The first four symbols are all in chapters four and five, which just so happens to pick up right where we left off in our last episode, but just to get us all in the mindset of where we are, the year is 593. Ezekiel's been in captivity for about five years, along with 10,000 other Jews. At age 30, which was the age that men were called into temple service, Ezekiel would have been a priest in the temple had he had stayed in Jerusalem. But since he was no longer in Jerusalem, he would not have been able to do that. Instead, at age 30, he is called by God to be a prophet through that vision that we learned about in the last episode that depicted the glory of God. And that glory of God told Ezekiel he was going to be the watchman for Israel. It was his job to warn the people of their need for repentance. Now, in chapters 4 and 5, God gives Ezekiel some very specific instructions on how to preach his message to the exiles. And the first one comes in the form of a symbol of a brick. And I'll just read this to you. You can follow along if you want. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 4. And you, son of man, take a brick and lay it before you and engrave on it a city, even Jerusalem, and put siege works against it and build a siege wall against it. Cast up a mound against it. Set camps also against it and plant battering rams against it all around. And you... Take an iron griddle and place it as an iron wall between you and the city and set your face toward it and let it be in a state of siege and press the siege against it. This is a sign for the house of Israel. So you have almost like a little model of what the siege is going to look Mm -hmm. like, but the city is represented by a brick. You know, when I picture that, Ezekiel, of course, looks like a giant compared to his little model. Mm-hmm. Which is the size of a brick, and it just—I right. wonder if in that symbol Ezekiel is kind of like God. You know, if I think he's so. Representative of God, yeah, because he can, you know, he's so much larger than the city itself. And I think that is supported by verse three, where he says, "Take an iron griddle and place it as an iron wall between you and your city, and set your face toward it," which is really the same thing that God is doing to the city. Mm-hmm. That's what are we going to interpret the symbols as we go in the reading? Or are we going to? I was going to wait and come back, okay. but since yeah. you brought that up, well, I can wait. Wanted to support your. Yeah, I mean, if you got something <laughs> to say on it, you can say it now. 
This is your this is your show. No, I don't, I don't have anything to say. You go ahead. <laughs> okay. Um. So yeah, you're right. So this is meant to show them what's going to happen to them, uh, but on a small scale, obviously. Okay. So the next symbol. And like Drew said, we'll come back and discuss these more in the next sections. But just to get through them quickly, that was symbol one. We'll call it the brick. Symbol number two, we're going to call this one the bed. Technically... The nap. Yeah, the nap (laughs) is good. Or the year-long... I don't know what you call it. Anyway, it's not fun. A staycation. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's definitely not fun. Here's what happens. Verse four... Then lie on your left side and place the punishment of the house of Israel upon it. Which is a very interesting phrase that we'll discuss later. Mm -hmm. For the number of days that you lie on it, you shall bear their punishment. For I assign to you a number of days, 390 days equal to the number of years of their punishment. So long shall you bear the punishment of the house of Israel. So 390 days, he has to lie on his left side, presumably without getting up, without rolling over, without moving. He has to stay on his left side. And we'll see why in verse 8. But that's not it. Let's read verse 6 first. When you have completed these, you shall lie down a second time, but on your right side, and bear the punishment of the house of Judah. Forty days I assign you a day for each year. So that's a total of 430 days, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. 390 plus 40 is pretty close to 430. You shall set your face toward the siege of Jerusalem with your arm bared, and you shall prophesy against the city. And behold, I will place cords upon you so that you cannot turn from one side to the other till you have completed the days of your siege. So there's sign number two. He has to lie on his left side for 390 days and his right side for 40 days. Now, um, is he placing his face towards the actual siege of Jerusalem or his model siege of Jerusalem? Most likely his model. There's a little bit of discrepancy from the commentaries I was reading, different ideas on what that meant. Mm -hmm. But there's a really neat picture uh, that maybe I should put as the photo for this episode Mm -hmm. of Jeremiah, or no, Jeremiah, it could be Jeremiah, but it's probably Ezekiel, uh, since he was the prophet that did this, lying on his left side, and it says he has his arm bared, and he has his arm out, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, I guess at like a 45-degree angle up above his head, and he's looking at this iron pan, and on the other side of the iron pan is the little model that Brick. he set up. Yeah. So it's, it's very likely siege that, works. Yes, yeah. yeah. So it's likely that he could have built that and then laid there and looked at it for over a year. Mm-hmm. So okay, that's the way it reads to me is mm-hmm. that he's facing that and I, yeah, I'll, I'll quit talking because we're trying to save this. Okay, so. yeah, we can go ahead. Number three, number numero three, tres. numero tres. I have, don't know what that means, but it sounds good. Starting in verse nine, now we have the symbol of some bread. So, uh. In true Dale Jenkins style, and I love Dale Jenkins, that's not a shot, Eddie. Uh, we're trying to keep the alliteration thing going with the B's here, and we're okay. going to make it. We're going to make it, too. So we have the brick, brick. the bed, and now we have the bread, okay. starting in verse 9. And you, and this also occurs over these 430 days, keep in mind. Okay. Take wheat and barley, beans and lentils, millet and emmer, and put them into a single vessel and make your bread from them. During the number of days that you lie on your side, 390 days, you will eat it. And your food that you eat shall be by weight, 20 shekels a day from day to day you shall eat it. And water you shall drink by measure, the sixth part of a hen from day to day you shall drink. A sixth part of a hen, by the way, is about 21 ounces. So read there maybe a bottle of water close to a bottle of water. Um, Now it's going to get maybe not so familiar. And you shall eat it as a barley cake, baking it in their sight on human dung. Mm. And the Lord said, Thus shall the people of Israel eat their bread unclean among the nations Mm -hmm. where I drive them. Ezekiel objects in the next verse, saying he's never eaten anything unclean. 
And so God does him a favor in verse 15, whether or not it's a favor, you be the judge. Then he said to me, See, I assigned to you cow's dung instead of human dung on which you may prepare your bread. Mm-hmm. So whether that's an upgrade or a downgrade. Well, ritualistically, is that what ritualistically? Sure, that sounds great. Ritualistically speaking, I think it was an upgrade because, right. uh, yeah. you know, humans were not fit for consumption, nor were there. <laughs> uh, uh, but Waste the cattle, yeah. Product. But the cattle were clean animals. And so this is mm-hmm. more of a ritual cleanliness than a sanitary cleanliness. Yeah, and it was actually a practice to cook. Um, let's see, I'm looking for my note here. Cow chips. To use. Some my grandfather dung. called them. Cow chips? Yeah, yeah. Because it, it's I like not. That word. Yeah, I mean, I can't better. believe we're talking about this, but. It's uh, you know, not? not fresh. You know, this is when it's dried out and burns right. very well because it's full of hay, really. Exactly. So this was used commonly as a fuel to light a fire. Yeah. Um. So that's what he's gonna have to prepare his bread on. Uh. And here's why he's doing this. Verse 16. I will break the supply of bread in Jerusalem. And verse 17 is is. A good summarizing verse. I will do this that they may lack bread and water and look at one another in dismay and rot away mm-hmm. because of their punishment. And we can come back to this, but just think about what Ezekiel's body is going to look like at the end of this mm-hmm. 430 days. That food, by the way, I will tell you this already before we go to the next section. According to the Talmud, this composition of food was all squished up into one lump of food that was then baked on top of the dung. And in the Talmud, they do this little experiment, I guess for lack of a better term, put it out somewhere, and the dogs that came by refused to eat it. Hmm. So this is a it's pile. It's very interesting. It's kind of the way I understand it from what I've been reading. It's like if you were to go in your house and maybe take like some mac and cheese and some shrimp and some garlic and you know things that don't go together at all and squish it into one little cake and then mm-hmm. cook it I mean it would be disgusting but, well okay you look at the recipe though wheat barley beans and lentils mm-hmm. millet I have a footnote that emmer is a type of wheat yeah I mean these are grains um, they're whole grains in fact you can go to Whole Foods and buy I don't know if you knew this you can buy Ezekiel bread so we could try this and out. And it's got this verse, uh, the the reference on the loaf of bread. And it's a loaf, it's, it's well, leavened bread. Well, maybe this Talmud thing is, maybe I've been misled well, in what I've been reading. Well, I you know, I think more likely the people who make the bread have been misled because yeah. they're passing it off as a health thing. And you can see how chapter 4 ends, they're going to rot away. Yeah. It's the wasting of Ezekiel. But, you know, of course, that was all that he ate. So right, um, it's meant to be symbolic of what's going to happen to them in the siege. So mm-hmm. it's not going to be something that you would just. I don't think it was the kind of food that Ezekiel would have gone to Whole Foods to buy because it mm-hmm. tasted yeah. good. Yeah, but it's so made with only these it's ingredients. It's good marketing for whoever makes it. I'm, yeah. I'm interested in that. I might go buy some this afternoon. I think we've got some in our refrigerator right now okay, because we well, bought it bought it a while back. And it tastes nasty. I think nasty. you should try a bite of it live <laughs> as we come back. For the next section. <laughs> well, I'd have to go home. I don't have time. Okay, well, too bad. Sorry. Okay, so So that's there, three. We, we've done three, right? That's three. We're not doing this nearly as fast as I wanted to. So we got no, the brick. We're doing good. The bed and the bread. Here's your fourth one, the beard. I was wondering, okay. If you try to say all those five times fast, I'm sure it'd be difficult. Here we go. Starting in chapter five, verse one. And you, son of man, take a sharp sword. The barber. Yes, use it as a barber's razor. Yeah, it could have been the barber. Use it as a barber's razor. Pass it over your head and your beard. Then take balances for weighing and divide the hair. A third part you shall burn in the fire in the midst of the city when the days of the siege are completed. And a third part you shall take and strike with the sword all around the city. And a third part you shall scatter to the wind, and I will unsheathe the sword after them. And Are we shall, still talking about the model city? I think... Is it a, 
Yes, I think we're talking about the days of the siege have ended. I think we're talking about... He's demonstrating this with the mob. Yes. Okay. And then after he's lied, laid, lied, he has lain, whatever you want to say, he has been prostrate now for 430 days. I think at the end of that. Supine. Yeah. (laughs) Supine. Sure. Any one of those words you want to pick. But when he's done with that, uh, he's going to get up and he's going to shave, which was shameful for him as a priest. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can talk about that in the next section. But um, actually, we'll talk about it now. Leviticus 21.5 said, said that a priest must not shave his head or trim his beard. So this would have symbolized the state of the people being unholy, unqualified, mm-hmm. unfit to be his servants. So that's why he's shaving his head and his face. But then he divides it up, like we said. Uh, the three main parts, one he burns, one he cuts with a sword all around the city, and the other he just throws into the wind. But he tells him to take a few of the hairs that he has and do this with them. Verse 3, You shall take from these a small number and bind them in the skirts of your robe. And of these, again, you shall take some and cast them into the midst of the fire and burn them in the fire. From there, a fire will come out into all the house of Israel. So he has three uh, main parts of this shaven hair that he's going to do different things with. Then he has another part that he keeps on his person. And out of that little part that he keeps on his person, he has to burn some of that. So that's what he's got to do. That's the fourth symbol. What that means, we will discuss in the next section. But there is the... I guess the visual or the shocking symbols Mm -hmm. of Ezekiel. Okay, so we're back, and we're going to think about what we just read. So you just got a lot of information, a lot of different information, too. So we're going to try to make that all mean something. Really, all of these are about the same thing. They're just different aspects of it. We're talking about the siege of Jerusalem. Yeah, I think even a, a reader who hasn't seen this before but does have you know the history of, of the Jews in mind, knows generally what all of this is about. And that's the yeah. important thing. I think we should point that out because I think uh, several times in this segment we're going to say, I just don't know for sure what exactly that particular detail meant. And the important thing to know is, generally speaking, the message is clear. Uh, yeah. Something bad has happened to Jerusalem or is going to happen to Jerusalem, and the people are going to be punished for their iniquities. In right. a very you know, visible, physical way, they're going to be punished. And mm-hmm. it's going to be taken out on the city and the temple. And that, you know, that is a history that you're familiar with if you've studied Kings or Chronicles, mm-hmm. Jeremiah, Isaiah, you know yeah. these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's prophesying about what's going to happen at the end of Second Kings. Uh, and this is also recorded in Jeremiah Jeremiah is at the same time, preaching at the same time, just in a different place. <clears throat> Jeremiah's in Jerusalem. Ezekiel is here at Tel Aviv, I think. Um, yeah. Outside. In Babylon. Right. Outside of... Um, Kebar Canal. Yep. Correct. So, let's get some... Let's think about this a little bit. So, the first symbol, it's explained pretty much in the reading. It just says, this is a sign for the house of Israel, the siege that's coming pretty straightforward the symbol of the bed or the 430 days of lying on his left and right side is maybe a little less clear the point of it though at at the end of the matter here the point of it is in verse 8 I will place cords upon you so you can't move that's the idea God is putting the cords on the people to where they're going to be in captivity they're going to be stuck and they're not going to be able to get back to Jerusalem until the time is over, the allotted time is over. Now, here's where we run into some difficulties that you might have picked up on. 
it says, in the first place, the house of Israel is punished for 390 days, and then the house of Judah is punished for 40 days. Each day represents a year. So total for the entire nation of Israel, we have 430 years, but specifically for the house of Judah, which is the only remnant left of the nation of Israel at this point, says their punishment will last for 40 years. Here's the problem. The captivity lasted 70 years, as predicted by Jeremiah in Jeremiah 25, 11 through 14. If you want to go and look at that reference, that's Jeremiah 25, 11 through 14. Right now, we're in 593, so we're still a good 60 years away from the release of the people under King Cyrus at the beginning of Ezra, when Zerubbabel is allowed to go back. So, the number 40 is not going to mathematically get us to the end of the Babylonian captivity from this point. And the number 40 is also not the number of years that um, the nation of Judah or the tribe of Judah spent in captivity to Babylon. But there are some answers here. The number 40 in the mind of a Jewish person was symbolic of punishment. You might remember where Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four that five times he received from the Jews the 39 uh, lashes. Uh, that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 3 uh, where you're given this law. Forty stripes may be given him, but no more, lest if one should go on to beat him with more stripes than these, your brother be degraded in your sight. And I think it actually said in Second Corinthians, wasn't it 39 lashes minus 1? So it was 38, or was it the 40 minus 1? 40 save 1. 40 save and 1. And that was just to make sure they didn't go over. Because, because of it, that verse. The uh, yeah. torturer may lose count, you know, yeah. after. Yeah, after, yeah so. after 39. Just to be safe, they would do 39. I've never thought about that theory. And, you know? um, so punishment, that, punishment 40, uh, like you could even think about the flood I know what you're going to do that yeah. 40 days and 40 nights. Yeah, which was meant for, really, I guess, the punishment of humanity. So, um, oh, yeah, it's all about, you know, Noah's flood's all about condemnation. Yeah, so there's definitely a, a connection between the number 40 and punishment. And, that might, and I can if totally... If he's even talking about punishment, because isn't there... Am I getting well, too far ahead here? But there, the word could mean iniquity or punishment, right? Right. In verse 4, the reason that he is doing this, place the punishment of the house of Israel upon your side. And all throughout this passage, he talks about bearing the punishment of these different houses. Now here's where it gets, I think this is what clears it up, because the 40 years and 40 for punishment seems, I don't know, maybe not as solid. What well, doesn't explain 390? Here's what explains 390. Okay. If you go I keep to interrupting you, sorry. No, 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 that's good. These are I'm sure that's that's what everybody's thinking. So if we go back to Exodus and if we go into verse or chapter 12 and verse 40, there's going to be something here that's probably not just coincidence. The time that the people of Israel lived in the land of Egypt was 430 years. And at the end of the 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. And that's repeated again in Galatians 3.17. So, the people of Israel, keep in mind, this is a long time after the they captivity They were punished the in Jews. Egypt. They were punished in Egypt through captivity. They were captives okay. in Egypt. So, when we see this number mm. 430 it's likely that these years... Now, I do think Ezekiel did lie down for the number of days that was assigned to him. We have every reason to believe that from the text, that he did lay down for those days. Now, what those days represented is where we can start to discuss what happened or, or why, why did he lie down for that amount of days. Uh, and it appears that these numbers were symbolic of punishment. Keep in mind 
that for a Jewish person, the number 430 would have always meant Egyptian captivity to them. Okay, so let me ask you this, hoping that I'm not getting ahead of you here. Split It's split up between the two kingdoms, and I hope our listeners realize that Andrew's talking about the northern ten tribes of Israel, the capital there was Samaria. Mm-hmm. It had been destroyed before Ezekiel's day by an empire called Assyria. Right. Uh, in what, 722 B.C., something like that, if anybody cares? Yes, that account uh, is in Second Kings 17. And then Jesus. Judah is where Jerusalem is. It survived longer, but was taken out during Ezekiel's time. Mm-hmm. Now, he says 390 day, 390 days for Israel. He says 40 days for Judah. For centuries, the Jewish people tried to act like Israel and Judah were two separate entities. Mm-hmm. Is this a way of putting them together in this way, the 390 plus 40 equals 430, going all the way back to Egypt? And like you said, everybody from the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom would know that number yeah. as being the days that the people spent in Egypt. I mean, Paul yeah. threw it, like you said, Paul threw it out in Galatians. So... Is God, in doing that through Ezekiel, is that a subtle way for God to say, you never were divided. You have always been my people, ten tribes, twelve, uh, two tribes together. I think I it mean, could be. It's just interesting that he splits the number between the two. We've always looked at those as um, unequal nations. Like the ten tribes were the rogue tribes that went away from the Lord. Um, it also made me think of Hezekiah, I think it was, who invited Israel. It had to have been Hezekiah. He invited Israel to come celebrate some of the feasts at Jerusalem during his time of reform. And uh, that was surprising because the kingdom had been split for so long. Uh, and he was he was saying, you know, he was setting up these feasts for them to come. So, you know, we, we tie up history real nice and neat and say... You know, there was the northern kingdom, it was destroyed, never returned again, and the southern kingdom was the only one God cared about since Rehoboam on. But maybe maybe that's the wrong way to look at it. Uh, there's a division, but it's uh, it's not a total division, maybe. Right. I don't know. That is reflected, this is something we'll study later, but in Ezekiel 23, he calls Israel and Judah sisters. And he gives them the names Ahola huh. and Aholaba. But... In verse 1 of chapter 23, there were two women, the daughters of one mother. So it compares them to separate, but they have the same mother. But they still have the relationship. Yeah, they still have the relationship. I, I feel like these numbers have to be saying the same thing. Now, where was that? That is that in Ezekiel, the, the daughters? Yes, that was in, I just turned the so page. So that's very interesting to me. I've never, I've never put all of that together like that. Yeah, the Ahola and Aholaba, the sisters thing, is in okay. chapter 23. Um, yeah, so we I have mean, 430 Were you already days. thinking that about these numbers? The 430 days? Yeah, have you thought about that application uh, of 390 plus 40, and it shows the relationship? Or yeah, but I didn't. Did I, did I blow your mind? You blew my mind. Okay. Because I knew there was something there. I didn't know what exactly I, it, it was. It has to be. the. I mean... No other theory makes sense. I think you're right. It has to describe, an, you know, it's captivity compared to captivity. It has to be that. Yeah. I mean, what else could it be? I agree with that 100%. So, just to clear to clear up any confusion here, Ezekiel, we have every reason to believe, did lie down on his side for the full 430 days. 390 on his left, 40 on his right. He did, he actually did that eating the food that he was required to eat day by day, lying down in front of this little siege that he had built with a brick. But what those numbers represented, the years that they represented, did not directly represent the Babylonian, or yeah, the Babylonian captivity. It was... Because it never works out, no matter how you count it. No matter how you do the math. And it's interesting that it equals perfectly the Egyptian captivity. There's no way that's just a no. a happy coincidence. No way. So hopefully maybe that clears up any questions uh, about that second one, about the bed. Now the bread. Let's get into just a little bit for this. 
You didn't do the brick, right? You just the brick. You know, I didn't have anything. Simple. I mean, yeah. Do you have anything for the brick? No, no. uh, no. I mean, yeah. it's it's the very most straightforward simple. of all these. I think so. Um, so in the second or the third one here, the bread. We already mentioned that the water was about twenty-one ounces of water. Um, we don't really have time to do this in the podcast, but there's a scripture reference for every single one of these things that Ezekiel has to do. In Leviticus 26, 26, you find the prescription for weighing out food during a siege. Uh, the amount of food that he's supposed to eat is around 8 ounces of bread per day. So every day, Ezekiel's eating 8 ounces of bread and having 21 ounces of water, and that's it. So that's not a lot of food to sustain yourself for 430 days. So he's going to be looking pretty rough at the end of this. It also says that he's supposed to eat it from time to time or from day to day. This indicates that he ate his meal at the same time every day, so he ate it all together. So it wasn't like he had his 8-ounce loaf and tried to make it go as far as he could. He'd 2 ounces for breakfast, 2 ounces for lunch, 2 ounces for a snack, and 2 ounces for dinner. Uh, he ate it at the same time every day. Uh, and you can compare that to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 37, 21, where Jeremiah is actually living out what Ezekiel is predicting here. He is in Jerusalem during a siege. Guess what he eats every day? One loaf of bread per day. That's mm. what's given for Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Jeremiah 38, 6, the city is running out of water, so there's not a whole lot of water to go around. Uh, so all these things are going to come they're going to come to fruition. Uh, in chapter 5, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, there's going to be harsh conditions, really, is what we want to think here. Uh, Drew, anything to add on that? Yeah, bread? not only harsh, but uh, unclean, ritualistically yeah. unclean. Um, going back to using human dung for the for the fuel, you know, that's something that a Jewish, that, that's not kosher. Mm-hmm. So it's a sign that you'll have to eat your food in captivity in a pagan land who doesn't provide for your religious ceremonies. They don't care. Right. They don't they don't care that certain animals are unclean. They're not going to provide what the Jews needed to carry out some of their religious obligations under the old covenant. That's what that human dung versus cow dung is all about in that section. Uh, I don't know why, and maybe you have a theory on this. I don't know why in verse 12 he says you should use the human dung for fuel. And um, then he, in verse 15, says, well, I'll give you cow's dung. I don't know if that's you know showing that God is listening to their prayers or yeah, what that's all about. I don't know what that could be symbolic of. I just know It reminds that. me of Peter, though. You know, we think in terms of sanitation— Mm-hmm. Okay, that is not what is on the the mind of the writer here. Yeah, uh, Ezekiel's not worried about sanitation. It's kind of like Peter's vision in Acts ten of the sheet coming down with all the clean and unclean animals, mm-hmm. and uh, Peter said, "No, I've, I've never eaten anything unclean." And uh, Paul says, "Do not," or God says to Peter, "Do not call common what I have declared to be clean." So the opposites aren't clean and unclean. They're clean and common. Yeah. Which is, that helps us understand what is meant in the Old Testament by unclean. From our modern day eyes that look at unclean in terms of not sanitary, that'll make you sick. He's not saying, look, none of this has bacteria in it. He's saying there is that which is holy, and then there's that which is common. And the only time what is common is evil is when you're using it wrongly for a holy thing. Yeah. He's telling Peter, you know, a new age has come where I've declared all of this clean. Mm-hmm. You, it can be eaten with blessings. It can be it can be holy now. Uh, yeah, I think that's interesting that you bring up Peter because that's basically the exact same reaction Ezekiel has. He yeah, that's what reminded <laughs> me of it. Yeah, he's, yeah, he says, I've never defiled myself. I've never eaten those things. From my so, youth up. I mean, it's yeah. almost exactly what Peter said. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting there. Um, there's a little bit more about the intense hunger of the people, but we're going to get into that in a minute, so I won't go ahead and do that now. Um, but they did wind up resorting to cannibalism. So, in Jeremiah, for, you're talking about? Uh, it's predicted, I don't have a, 
scripture reference from Jeremiah, but I do have a prediction of that, and also in Leviticus twenty six twenty nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so we'll get to that in a second. But uh, for the beard, let's define those different sections of hair, and we'll do this in a hurry because I know we're probably running up to the edge of our time here. Uh, the different sections of the beard represent the first section represents those who die in pestilence and famine around the city. Uh, Let's read chapter 5 and verse 12. This explains everything. A third part of you shall die of pestilence and be consumed with famine in your midst. A third part shall fall by the sword all around you, and a third part I will scatter to all the winds and unsheathe the sword after them. So if you're reading this or you're preparing for a Bible class and you're trying to figure out how to attach the different sections of hair, as weird as that sounds coming out of my mouth, uh, go to verse 12. Verse 12 tells you exactly what those different places or those different parts of the hair mean, Um, explaining what's going to happen to the people of Israel when when the siege takes place. Okay, now here's the problem. Three-thirds is the whole. And then there's another section okay. out of those three-thirds. Okay. Those represent, uh, let's see here. Those represent a small remnant that's going to survive. So the rest of these people the are The fourth-third. Yeah, the fourth-third. Yeah. So, so third is not used in a technical... Right. It's just, and I've seen this before. I think we saw it. I know I've seen it in Revelation, probably in Daniel, where a third just means a portion. Yeah. You know, there so it's a not big math portion. Here. So we got three almost equal portions, and then we have another small portion out of that. Yeah. So three main sections. Uh, this little remnant that he keeps on his person is representative of those who are spared, and who will see the days of restoration. Um, so this is going to represent like Zerubbabel. That's a hard word to say. Yeah. Zerubbabel, and mm-hmm. the people that come back with him. But even out of that group, some of those are going to be burned and killed. When Zerubbabel comes back, when Ezra comes back, when Nehemiah comes back, they face opposition from within their own people. And I think those are represented by the, those hairs that wind up getting burned, even from the remnant that is saved. Uh, so that uh, symbol of the beard represents the fate of the majority of the Jewish people. Now, in chapter 5, verses 5 through 17, Ezekiel explains what is happening and why it's going to happen. Uh, why it's going to happen. <laughs> why it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, let's read this in verse 5. Thus says the Lord God, This is Jerusalem. I have set her in the center of the nations with countries all about, around her. She has rebelled against my rules by doing wickedness more than the nations and against my statutes more than the countries around her, for they have rejected my rules and have not walked in my statutes. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you are more turbulent than the nations that are around you and have not walked in my statutes or obeyed my rules and have not even acted according to the rules of the nations that are around you, therefore says the Lord, behold, I, even I, am against you. I will execute judgments in the midst of the sight of the nations. So that's what's happening. That's and that's what all four symbols are about. Right. And then there's this interesting thing to tack on to the end of that in verse 11 at the very end, the last sentence. My eye will not spare, and I will have no pity. Hmm. Not something you want to hear coming from the God of all creation. Anything else to think about from that, Drew? I think we've thought for a long time now. Yeah, let's take a break and come back with some lessons in just a moment. up with some practical lessons that you can take home from Ezekiel chapters 4 and 5. And uh, Andrew, you've done such a good job leading the way today. I'm just going to let you go ahead and take the lead on this part as well. I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. Did you say (laughs) something? (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Um, Okay, so we got two big ones 
and then or I have two big ones and then whatever the brain trust over there has as well so the first one <laughs> has to do with disobedience and discipline this punishment sounds really harsh so the first time I read through Ezekiel I thought this I mean this isn't this a little overkill I mean I know the people have I know what the people have done is bad but do we have to like why does everybody have to die uh, you know, it's, it seems like maybe we can find some other kind of punishment for them. But when you take this thing into the history of Israel, the people, this is what the people chose. They mm-hmm. knew exactly. And when I say exactly, I don't mean they had a vague idea of what would happen to them if they rebelled. They knew exactly what would happen down to the specifics. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go back to Leviticus 26. This is in the original covenant where God is promising his people this is how things are going to go. In the first 13 verses, he tells them, if you obey me, everything's going to be great. If you obey me, you'll have peace. You will eat uh, old store long kept. My dwelling will be among you. Basically, you'll be great. You won't have any problems. But if you disobey me, starting in verse 14 of Leviticus 26, if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, and if you spurn my statutes and if you abhor my rules so that you do not do all that I command and break my covenant, this I will do to you. And you can probably guess what he says is going to happen to them. Number one, he says, those who hate you will rule over you. Verse 17, what is this siege all about? Babylon, a nation they hate because they're Gentiles. They serve pagan gods. Well, so do the Jews at this point, but they don't believe that their entitlement from God is gone, even though they serve those other gods. Those who hate you will rule over you. Verse 22, he says, I will let loose wild beasts among you. Let's look at Ezekiel 5, 17. I will send famine and wild beasts against you. And they will rob you of your children. Mm, Leviticus 26, 25. I will bring a sword upon you. Let's look. If you can look all over Ezekiel, and there's the phrase, the Lord is unsheathing the sword against the people. But specifically in 5.12, a third of you shall fall by the sword. A third of you I will scatter the winds and unsheathe the sword against you. Well, and maybe that was that gesture that Ezekiel was supposed to do by burying his arm. Yeah, maybe, maybe looking like he had a sword. It outstretched. It's some symbol of power, if not yeah. holding the sword outstretched. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, that exact phrase is in Leviticus 26, 33. This is in Leviticus now. This is not in Long time Ezekiel. Before Ezekiel, yeah. I will scatter you among the nations, and I will unsheathe the sword after you. So these people knew exactly what was coming. I'll fly through a couple more of these, but now you get the idea that for every one of these points, you can read the exact same words in what we just read in Ezekiel. I will send pestilence among you. I will break your supply of bread. You will eat the flesh of your sons and eat the flesh of your daughters. I will lay your city to waste. I will devastate the land. I will scatter you among the nations and you will perish among the nations. So the people were disobedient to the covenant, and God was then required to follow through on his word. And all through the study of Ezekiel, we will find that God didn't necessarily want to punish his people. His desire was for them to repent, but since they were disobedient, it required. God's already made the promise. He's already made the covenant. And now that the people have broken it, he can't go back on his word and say, well, I'm not going to do this. I know I said I was going to, but I'm not going to. When we get to chapter 18, God is going to plainly ask the people, why will you die? He says, I do not take delight in the death mm-hmm. of anyone. Yeah. So God does not want, and we read the Old Testament, and I think we give God a bad reputation of being this hateful, vengeful, angry God, but he's not. He's just yeah. not. He and he wants. didn't warn them like last Tuesday. These, these yeah. are centuries. For yeah, centuries, he'd been warning them about that and mm-hmm. telling them, teach it to your children, pass it down from generation to generation. 
This is what happens if you do well. This is what happens if you don't do well. Blessing and a curse. Yeah. Yeah, he's trying to keep these people holy, set apart for him so that they can take that and be a light to the other nations and show them who God is. That was their goal, or that's what God wanted them to do. They didn't do it. So, if you look in chapter 5 and verse 11, God says he's going to withdraw from the people. He's going to take his presence away. So back in Leviticus, Mm -hmm. he says, if you follow me, my presence will be among you. But if not, I'm going to take it away. And when we get to Ezekiel's second vision, when we talk about that from chapters 8 to 11, Ezekiel sees the glory of the Lord that he saw in chapter 1, but this time those wheels move away from Jerusalem, Mm -hmm. and the presence of God has left the city. And really, when you think about it, God doesn't do anything else other than give the people exactly what they want. So the people have already proven through their actions, through their attitudes for hundreds of years now, that this is what they want. They would rather have the false gods than the real God. And it reminds me of this quote from C.S. Lewis in The Great Divorce. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, Thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, Thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. To those who knock, it is open. And I think those words from C.S. Lewis, they just totally peg the problem with the the history of Israel. Because in every instance, those people chose their fate. They chose to serve something that was not the true God. Yeah. Um, So that is the first big application. How much time we got left? Uh... Five minutes. Okay, let's do one more. Uh, the next one is the Son of Man and the bearing of punishment. So if you'll remember from the beginning of this whole section here, he has to lie on his side and place the punishment of the house of Judah upon it. So this is a shadow of what Jesus is going to do later. And when we say shadow, that's exactly what we mean. We mean just like if you go stand outside and there's a shadow, it's just a faint outline of the real thing. Yeah, it's not the reality. Right. It's not the ultimate anyway. Mm Mm-hmm. Just uh. There's something real that's causing the shadow. Correct. And in this case, the something real is going to be Jesus. So Ezekiel symbolically bears the punishment of the people But Jesus actually does it in reality. And not just for the punishment of all these people that Ezekiel is bearing the punishment for, but for all of humanity, all on the back of Jesus. And that sacrifice is what gives us the chance to, um, I guess, to enjoy the benefits of what happens if you obey the covenant. Mm -hmm. And if it wasn't for that sacrifice, then we would all be really in the same situation as these Jewish people. Yeah. Um, the people that just chose not to serve God. I'm sure there were a few out of the nation of Israel at this point that still held fast to God. Maybe. Uh, Ezekiel being one of them. Jeremiah being one of them. Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. There's a few. But on as a whole they certainly were not. Yeah. Yeah, bearing... They, they had hundreds of statements and pictures related to the bearing of sin before they knew exactly how that was to be done. And uh, that language kind of sneaks into the end of First Peter chapter 2 where Peter says that he will bear the sins on the tree. Yeah. Uh, that, that word, the verb translated bear, is to a Jewish mind would automatically take them back perhaps to this passage, definitely to the scapegoat in Leviticus chapter 16, uh, probably some of the language used in Isaiah 40, um, Isaiah 53, bearing the sins somebody else committed. So um, mm-hmm. here you have Ezekiel symbolically bearing the punishment uh, for the sins committed by his people. 
uh, that's just yet another thing that that points to Christ. It's a shadow cast by the cross, mm-hmm. and uh, that's always the lessons we ought to be looking for are those kinds of lessons. So it's the cast of the cross, it's, if you will. It's the shadow cast <laughs> the shadow by the cast. cross. That'd be a good book yeah. title. Maybe someday somebody will write one about the cast of the cross. Somebody should. Uh, thank, thank you for listening. Obviously, we're winding down now. Um, our, we're making less sense as time goes on, so probably time to wrap this thing up. And uh, we are we're excited to continue the study. We're going to... Not going to be able to hit every verse. Uh, I think we're hitting a lot of it so far, but we will work till we get the general idea at least to the we book will of Ezekiel. Work Jesus comes. And yeah, that may be how long this takes us <laughs> yeah. to get through Ezekiel, but we're committed to it because for one thing, we want to understand it better, and we get out a lot. We, we get a lot out of just having the conversation uh, on with the microphones on. It's just really helped us, and we hope that it's helpful in some way to you. You can always check us out if you're looking for past episodes. Check out the66.net. 66 is a number. And uh, make sure that you subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes app or whatever your um, podcast software is on your phone. We are on Google nowadays. We're on Google Play. Mm -hmm. So you can get us that way if you're one of those Samsung Galaxy 7 people. Who knows? Maybe your phone will catch fire. (laughs) If there's any of those surviving left. Yeah. yeah. Blown up. No disrespect meant. Uh, But uh, subscribe, leave us a review and a rating on iTunes. That really helps us out. And uh, we want to get other people listening, so spread the word. Uh, We we like doing it, and we love to know that it's helping other people too. Uh, Don't give up on us. We're still going to keep going at Ezekiel, and that's where we'll pick up next time on The 66. 